Hey, so this morning, I want to talk to you guys. Every day, millions of people get up and get in some kind of vehicle. How many of you guys got in a vehicle on the way to church this morning, right? Most of us in here. Um, not all of us, because I didn't get in a vehicle this morning to come to church. I just walked across the parking lot. But, but we use it to get to work. We use it to take kids to school or to go, to, to go on trips. We use it to go on vacation. Some of you, when you were younger, probably even did it just for fun. You jumped in your vehicle to drive around and you drove around on the back roads. Some of you doing things you shouldn't have been doing, but you still did it nonetheless. Everyone, when you were younger, wanted you to drive them around. Yet, interesting enough, none of them wanted to help you out with gas money. But you see, there is an epidemic storming the nation right now with drivers everywhere. It seems that people have forgotten the very basics of driving. Have you noticed this? So today, I want to help every single one of you be a better driver. We're going to call today Pastor Jason's Driver's Education Course. And in this course, I'm going to give you guys a few tips to help you be a better driver. Are you guys ready for it? The left lane. You guys know the left lane? It's called a passing lane. And it's not used to go the speed limit. And it's especially not used to go under the speed limit. You see, this lane is designed for people who have somewhere to go. Right? And people that have somewhere to go in a hurry. Listen, don't you know that I want to get somewhere fast and I want to use the left lane to get there? So you driving slow in the left lane isn't helping me get to my destination faster. Move over. Also, you should know that you shouldn't follow very closely behind people. That's called what? Tailgating. Okay, And unlike what we do when we get together at football games and we eat off the back of the tailgate, if you follow in and begin to follow too closely to me, you may end up eating my tailgate because I may suddenly and swiftly break check and you may end up eating my tailgate through the front of your vehicle. Now look, I, I'm not saying that I would do that, but I'm just saying it's a possibility. And I don't know if you guys have heard of this incredible new invention in newer model vehicles. It's an incredible thing. And it's found on the steering column, usually on the left-hand side. You guys ever heard of it? It, It's called a blinker. It's used to indicate or signal that you are getting ready to turn, to move in a direction that is opposite or in a different direction than what you are traveling right now. You use it. This, This amazing invention is used to let other drivers around you know that you're about to do something that you're not doing right now. And you may be slowing down. Here's the crazy thing. If you violate these rules, you might be subject to being pulled over. And you might get a ticket from one of our police officers. Or even worse, you may have Pastor Jason road raging at you on the side of the road. Any other chronic road ragers in the house? I try not to be right? Why do we get so angry? Because we think that we're more important than they are. We think that we've got a right 
to get everywhere faster than what we should without anybody getting in our way. That's not the place to amen. <laughs> you you want to know why we get so angry? Because people are stupid and they do stupid things when they drive, right? It infuriates me. But you know what? I've got kids now. And you know what my kids do? They do exactly what I do. They mimic everything I do and I say. So you know what I do? I try really hard not to do and say things that I don't want my sons and my daughter to do and say. Why? Because I want them to not grow up being a chronic road rager. Because I came by it honestly. We, we used to joke when we would take family vacations that if my dad made it out of our hometown without cussing, it was going to be a good trip. It usually didn't happen. Okay? He loves Jesus now. And, and that's awesome. And, but, but I came by it honestly. Why? Because I began to mimic what I saw my parents do. By the way, can I just, little confession, all the things that I told you that I get frustrated about are all things that I myself do. My wife is constantly on me about using that great invention called a blinker or a turn signal. One night, I got pulled over here in town. Four. You guys ready for it? I'm not telling you this to brag. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess, right? They say confession's good for the soul. Scripture says confess your sins one to another, right? So here we go. One traffic stop. Speeding. Wasn't bad, like three miles over the speed limit. Failure to use turn signal to indicate changing lanes. Failure to use a turn signal, turning. And failure to dim the bright lights on my vehicle coming into town. Now, look, I'm not going to lie to you. I used every possible card I could. In my wallet, when he came up, there was my Army ID card right there by it. He goes, Mr. Ellis, are you in a hurry? No, I'm, I'm not. I'm just trying to get back to the church. We've got an important meeting at the, at the church going on right now. And he goes, you're the pastor, aren't you? I'm like, yes, sir. Like, it's that moment that you, like, you're trying to do something, and all of a sudden they recognize you, and you're like, oh. Why? People are always watching. People are always watching what we do. Even when we think people aren't watching, they are. Even when nobody's watching, God still is. So you know what? I don't want to do things or say things that my kids are going to mimic. But as a follower in Christ, should it take me having kids to motivate me to change my behavior? Probably not. You see, I have a choice to make, and that choice can either honor God or it won't. No one is going to force me to make choices that honor God. It's a decision that I have to arrive to on my own. No one is going to force you to make decisions that honor God. Nobody is going to force you to quit flipping people off on the way to church. Right? Hopefully nobody did that this morning. Right? No one's going to... Watch, it's going to happen. It happened a few weeks ago when I said this. It happened. 
you know, we're on the way to lunch. Someone's going to cut you off and you're going to be tempted to yell at them and give them that like death stare. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Listen, I can't blame others for my choices. Some of you need to hear that. You can't blame others for your choices. You can't blame it on your parents. Can, can I just tell you, man, some of you had crappy parents and were awful parents. And, and can I tell you, they were doing the best they could and they just... Did, did you know, like there's, like, there's a million books that tell you how to be a parent, but none of them are any good? And like when you're born at the hospital, like there's not a book that the nurses go, hey, here's a baby, here's a book. Here's how you do everything that you'll ever encounter in life. Not going to happen, right? There are things that I'm like, oh, I know how to do this. And then like, what do you do when your child takes off their poopy diaper and has smeared it all over the walls, all over themselves, and you're going, what do you do? And I'm like, Tina, (laughs) right? Because I'm like, I don't know what to do. Luckily, can I just say, we've lucked out that we haven't had a child take off and smear poop all over the walls. And we've been there. It's always happened when my mother-in-law's been babysitting the kids. So thank thank God for mother-in-laws who who deal with that kind of thing. But, But can I tell you, if you're over the age of six, it's time to stop blaming your parents for the stuff that happens in your life. Listen, if you are 25, 35, 45, 65, it's time to quit wearing out that old excuse, well, you don't understand what happened with my parents. You're right, I don't, and I don't care. Because it ain't your parents' fault that you're still a jerk. Listen, I can't blame others for the choices that I make. It doesn't matter how bad a driver somebody else is. If I lose my temper and yell at them or give them that look of death as I drive by them, I alone am responsible for that choice. Here are a few myths that I want to bust for you today. You don't know what they did to me. They hit me first. They cheated on me first. Well, they cussed me out. Well, they're not fair. They just don't like me. They won't miss it. It's only a few dollars or it's, it's only a small office item. Here's the biggest one. The devil made me do it. Can, can I? All those things are false. None of those things matter. You're right. I don't know what they did. But if you act like a jerk, you're no better than they are. If you hit them back, are you any less violent? If you cheat on them, are you any less unfaithful? If you cuss them out because they cuss you out, does it make you any less wrong? If you take something that's not yours, regardless of how small and insignificant, does it make you any less of a thief? And listen, the devil didn't make you do anything you chose to do it and now you're just blaming the devil because you feel convicted about it well pastor the devil made me do it no your evilness inside you made you do it that ain't popular is it the devil didn't make you do anything can i just tell you the devil has never showed up at my doorstep and been like hey pastor let's go sin today and grab me and and the devil and i are skipping and gonna go sin. that's never happened It'd be really weird if we did. 
right? You know, when I've sinned, you know what it's been? A conscious choice. And you know where it started? And in order for it to come out, you know where it had to go through? Right here, through the heart. So you can't tell me, well, I hit my, my thumb and, 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 I, and I cussed and it just came out. No, it didn't just come out. It came from somewhere. Now look, that ain't, today's, a, today's not an easy message. But can I tell you, we don't ever just slip up. You see, because there, there comes a point where we have a choice to make when we know I should not do this or I should do this and we make the conscious choice whether to follow through on what we're thinking. Now, if you're two or three, and I don't see any two or three-year-olds in here, then maybe. Listen, you can't control what others do to you. You can only control your response to others. Listen, people are going to be jerks. Anybody here have brothers or sisters? Have your brothers or sisters ever been jerks to you? Right? If they're in this room, don't make eye contact with them. Don't elbow them. Don't slap them in the back of the head. Right? Of course, like you've probably been a jerk to your brother and sister. But, but does that make it right? Well, they were a jerk to me first, Pastor. It doesn't matter. You can only control how you respond to people. You cannot control how they treat you. So guess what? You got a boss that, that maybe doesn't like you and treats you unfairly? Who cares? Are you representing Christ to them? Can I just tell you, nobody had a, had a worse deal than Jesus. Like, Jesus was perfect. Could you imagine being Jesus' little brother? Like, I had a little brother, and I loved it, because I could blame him for all kinds of stuff, and he would take the fall. And you know what? Sometimes he would blame me for stuff, and I would take the fall. But if you were James and you were trying to blame Jesus, I think Mary and Joseph were like, James, come on, don't lie. Jesus, he's perfect. What like that would have been awful. You can't control what others do to you. Maybe you've got a student or maybe you've got a teacher that, that's mean or you think is grading you too hard. So you know what you do? You work harder. You're not getting the grades you want and you think they're being unfair. You know what you do? You work harder. You got a boss that, that's treating you unfairly and giving you really poor reviews. You know what you do? You work harder to prove them that they're not, that their assessment of you is false. Why? Because we should do everything we do as unto Christ. No? Yeah. Listen, loving God with all your soul means pursuing Him with our identity and our choices. Today we're talking about loving God with all of our soul. So we're going to talk about 
What do we do with our identity and our choices? Everything we do, we've got to do for the glory of God. It doesn't even matter what you do. You just got to do it for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 11, chapter 11, verse 1 is our text today. So if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open it up with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 says this. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So you may eat any fruit that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. But suppose someone tells you, this meat was offered to an idol, don't eat it, out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I, too, try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. You see, our relationship with God is not made up of just what happens in church on Sunday mornings. Our relationship with God has got to be deeper than that. Think about it. If you only ate one meal a week, how healthy would you be? Right? You, you, you wouldn't be healthy at all. You'd begin to have medical issues. But yet, many of us treat our relationship with God that way. We come in and the only time we worship all week is when the band is on stage and singing the songs. And let's be honest, some of us don't even worship then. We're just like, yay, song. If I, if I move my lips and mouth watermelon, 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 it'll look like I'm singing. Right? Or wait, I'm going to get one of these. And maybe I'm on beat, maybe I'm not. Or, wait, I'll raise my hand, right? Oh, wait, the song said, I'll raise my hands. Oh, look, I raise my hands like the song said. That makes me holy, right? Or, ooh, pastor's talking. I'm, out, I'm, I'm in the Word of God. But, but what if that's the only time that you're hearing from God? Jesus said that his, his, his followers know his voice. Can I tell you, I know God's voice. But I, I didn't get to know God's voice based solely on a sermon that I heard once a week on a Sunday morning. 
I began to hear God's voice in my life because I began to spend a daily time with Him in devotion and prayer. I began to look at God's Word and figure out what He was saying. Listen, if you don't know what to do in life, get in God's Word. See, our our, our relationship with God has to go beyond the four walls of the church. Jesus didn't die on a cross so you could sit in a pew. I love the fact that we don't have to sit on wooden pews anymore. Right? Anybody grow up in a church with wooden pews? Those things were awful, especially if you're a little kid that fidgeted, because you fidget just right, you're going to catch a splinter in the booty. That's, an, that's a bad day. People think you caught the Holy Ghost, and when you grew up in a Baptist church, that ain't a good thing. They're like, sit down, we're going to spank you. Yes, sir. <laughs> right? And, and, and can I tell you, I, I've been in churches that didn't have air conditioning. And that ain't bad in January and February. It's not even bad probably today. But come August, if we said, hey, there ain't no air conditioner at church this week, all the air conditioners went out, there'd be like half the people here. Why? Because we've grown accustomed to it. I'm not saying any of those things are bad. But I'm saying we've made Christianity so comfortable that it's easy to stay here instead of going out. Christianity was never designed to stay inside a building. It was designed to be out in the marketplace. You see, God hasn't called everybody to be pastors and missionaries in a vocational sense. But He has called everybody to be pastors and missionaries in the workplace. Notice in Scripture, it didn't say, go pastors and missionaries into all the world telling people about Jesus and baptizing them. Is that what it says in Scripture? Did it, did it preface that saying, hey, if you work at a church, here's what you need to do? No, it was a command to everybody. But yet, how many times are we content with just coming in and hearing another song, hearing another sermon, and letting it be it? Listen, Paul was making it clear to the church of Corinth that everything we do in life has potential to either give God glory or to take glory away from God. He's apparently responding to the popular phrase of the time that everything is permissible. But just because something's permissible doesn't mean it's healthy for you, and it doesn't mean that it's good for you. I love ice cream. Anybody else love ice cream? It is my kryptonite. Man, I could eat ice cream every single meal and not grow tired of it. Like, there are hundreds and hundreds of flavors of ice cream that I would love to eat. And I wouldn't just, like, eat... Like, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that I'm not just like, oh, give me, like, a, a spoonful of ice cream. I'm like, no, load up the bowl. I want to see it, like, over the top of the bowl so that I know what I'm about to eat. Anybody else like to eat their ice cream that way? But, you know, if I ate ice cream every single meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and, you know, if I was a hobbit, you know, I'd have another meal there. And, and, and if I just ate ice cream all the time, I would probably get sick. Not probably, I would. In addition to gaining like 700 pounds, I, I would begin to have health issues. Right? I would end up having to go to the doctor. I'd probably end up having heart surgery. Right? I would probably get diabetes. I would not be doing well. 
But I could do that if I wanted. But just because I can doesn't mean that I should. My oldest son, Josiah, like my dad and I, has very weak teeth. Meaning that if we eat a ton of sweets, you know what happens to our teeth? We get cavities. My son doesn't always understand when we tell him, no, you cannot have desserts. He doesn't understand why. Sometimes he has full-on meltdowns, laying down on the floor, kicking fleet, flailing, yelling, crying, and I'm just going, you still ain't getting any. Right? Why? Because I know what's best for him. He doesn't understand why I won't let him ride down the road in the vehicle without being buckled in. We look out for what's best for us, or at least we should. It doesn't matter what we can do, it's what we should do. See, I can do lots of things, but it doesn't mean I should do all those things. You see, Paul is so wrapped up in loving Christ that he is willing to lay down his personal rights for the sake of weaker believers and for the sake of other people coming to Christ. So it's an interesting scripture. He says, hey, eat whatever you want. That was a big deal back then because there were certain foods that were off limits. If you guys remember whenever Peter had the dream on top of Cornelius' house, remember there was a sheet that came down and there was a lot of foods that, that, that the Jews weren't allowed to eat and God said, take and eat. And, and, and Peter was like, no, I can't do that. And, and, and God said, don't call what I have set out for you unclean if I have said that it's clean. And, and so it was a big deal not to eat things that were unclean. And, and here, Paul was saying, hey, eat whatever you want to eat not a big deal but if someone says hey it's been sacrificed to idols hey for their sake for their sake don't eat it why paul later said i became all things to all people so that some might come to the lord listen i like lots of things i like country music not the new stuff because this new stuff that's on the radio is not country music Right, But I, I like old country music. But you know what? I would quit listening to country music if it meant that one person would come to Christ because I quit listening to country music. Why? Because my personal preferences don't matter in the kingdom of God. You know what? There are some old hymns that I absolutely love. And there are some new hymns that I absolutely love. And you know, there are some old hymns that I absolutely hate. And there are some new songs that we sing that I absolutely hate too. But you know what? I sing them. You want to know why? Because those songs mean different things to different people. And who knows whether that song's going to minister to someone that doesn't know Jesus. So it's not about my preference, it's not about any of our preferences. All that matters is what we do brings honor to God. Listen, if what you are choosing to do is keeping people from placing their trust in Christ, you've got to stop doing it. If what you are doing is making someone else stumble in their walk with Christ, stop doing it. It's not worth it. 
Well, I'm allowed to do it. Yeah, you may be allowed to do it, but is it worth sending somebody else to hell over? Famous line that was asked by Cain after he killed Abel was, Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? And and can I just answer that for you? Yes. Yes, you are. Now, am I saying that you can be responsible for what other people do? No. But can I tell you, if I can keep my brother from doing dumb stuff, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep him from doing dumb stuff. If I can keep my friends from driving off a cliff, do you think I'm just going to stand there and be like, go ahead, it'll be awesome. Let me put it on Facebook Live. No, that's stupid. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to stop. I'm going to do everything I can to get their attention to keep them from doing that. I'm going to say something that's going to be really tough and, and some of us aren't going to like it. But if you love Jesus... You'll forfeit your personal rights so that others might know Him. If you really love Jesus, you'll give up your personal rights so that others can come to know Christ. That's tough, isn't it? J.K. Rowling said, It's our choices that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. Listen, I can tell you who you are by the things you choose to do or the things you choose not to do. I can tell exactly who you are. But more than I can tell who you are, the world can tell who you are. When you get mad, if if you cuss somebody out, how are you any different than the world? If someone cuts you off in traffic and you give them the one finger salute and let them know just what you think of them what's it communicating Is what we choose to do, is it bringing people closer to Christ or pushing people further away from Him? Listen, I'm not saying we've got to be weird. Because I don't like weird people. I mean, I'm, I'm a weird person. We all have weird tendencies, right? But, but like, just, like, you don't have to be weird to follow Christ. But you do have to be different. You do have to be different. You know what? Because I love Jesus, I don't beat my wife. Because I love Jesus, I don't cuss at people. Because I love Jesus, I don't flip people off when I get mad when they cut me off. Because I love Jesus, I try not to yell at people when they make me mad. Yeah, you're right. I said try. You can call me out. I mess up every now and then. Listen, Jesus didn't call us to a life of perfection. He called us to a journey of righteousness. So here's the goal. That tomorrow we're closer to Him and more like Him than we were yesterday. That's the goal. 
Listen, I can tell the things that you value based on what you spend money on. Ah, here's pastor talking about money again. You want to know, you want to know why? Because Jesus talked about finances and possessions more than he did about heaven and hell. And the truth of the matter is finances probably rule and dominate the conversation in your homes. Because it takes finances to do everything. It costs you money to come to church this morning. Right? Because you had to put on clothes. Those weren't free. You had to get in a vehicle. It costs some kind of money to maintain it. You had to, it costs gas. The things that you love, you'll spend money on. Listen, my wife and I love coffee. Some might even say that we are addicted to coffee. We will drive 20 minutes out of the way on a road trip to get coffee. Why? Because we love it. And some of you are going, Pastor, I can't believe you drive 20 minutes out of the way for coffee. It's because you don't understand how great coffee is. If you did, you would understand. But can I tell you, some of you guys have similar things in your life that you love just as much as we love coffee. It's just different. So it's weird when we like coffee, but maybe it's not so weird when you drive out of the way to go to some shoe store. Right? Or, or you'll drive an hour out of the way to go to Target. You see, the things that matter, you'll spend time on. Can I tell you, it's the reason that we make church a priority in our family? Because it matters. You see, if we're not careful, we'll let traditions take the place of church. Now look, I'm not telling you that you've got to have perfect attendance in church or you're going to go to hell. That's not true. But there was a time, how many grew up in a church, that that was like, maybe it was never said from the pulpit, but that was definitely how it felt. Like if you miss, like you were being condemned and you needed to get right in the altar the next week. And I'm not saying you don't need to get right in the altar today. But can I, can I just tell you, missing church isn't going to send you to hell. But when it becomes a habit and you're not fellowshipping with other believers and, and you're not worshiping with other believers and you're not submitting yourself to the local church, can I tell you it's going to have adverse effects on not only your life but on your family's life? Listen, can I tell you, I look at the world and I think that a lot of the reason the world is in the condition it is because a lot of the world has gotten out of the church. We look at the great times of revival that have took take place what is the word I'm looking for? Taken place, in our, and I'm a teacher. It's a good thing I teach technology and not English. Um, has taken place has been because people got their families out of church. When great revivals hit and everybody was in church, do you notice we lived a more moral life? Things weren't as bad. Now look, there's always been evil, and there will always be evil. But here's the great thing. I've read the end of the book. And Jesus triumphs over evil. Amen? But we can't let traditions keep us out of church. Well, we're making new family memories. 
Well, can I tell you, you don't, you don't, need, to be making, you don't need to be making memories that keep your, your kids out of church. Because you know what? They're going to remember those memories. And then they go, well, you know what? Church wasn't a priority for my family. That's not even a notice. I'm going to get back to my notes. George MacDonald said, Never tell a child that you've got a soul. Teach them that you are a soul, you have a body. As we learn to think of the things always in this order, that the body is just a temporary clothing of the soul, our views of death and the unbefittingness of customary mourning will approximate to those friends of earlier generations. This is just a body. When I, when I die... You know what's going to happen to this body? My family is going to put it in a box, and it's going to go in the dirt, and it's going to rot, and it's going to become dirt again. And it's going to smell, and it's going to decay, and there's going to be maggots. And you know what? None of it's going to matter. Anybody ever been to a funeral? Right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it's not about this body. Now, does it mean we shouldn't take care of the body? No, it says that our body is a temple of the Lord. Right? And we should take care of this body as much as we can. But at the end of the day, it's our soul that matters. It's who we are, who we identify with. It is the very being of who we are. Listen, my identity isn't found in how big how jacked my muscles are, how skinny I am, how perfect my teeth are, how white my teeth are, how bald my head is. My identity is found in Christ. You know what? Some days I wake up and my breath is nasty. And some days I roll over and tell my wife good morning and I love you. And she goes, And you know what I know I need to do? Go brush my teeth. Doesn't mean my wife didn't love me. No, it just means I need to go take care of my body. Right? Or if I come in from mowing and I want to come up and give her a nice big old sweaty hug because for some reason as husbands we think we need to do that. And she's like, Go shower. Cochino, you stink. But you see, that could hurt my feelings. And I could go cry in a corner somewhere. But luckily, my identity is found in Christ, not in what others think about me. Last week, when I showed up to school on Monday with my head shaved, there were kids that made fun of me. A lot. There were more kids that made fun of me because of my bald head than there were about the hipster haircut I had. And they were like ruthless. And they were jerks. And you know what? I just smiled and laughed with them. You want to know why? Because my hair will grow back. Because my identity is not found in my hair. My identity is found in Christ. And we begin to realize that our identity is found in Christ. It doesn't matter what other people say. But can I tell you, we should look different than the world. The things we do, the things we say should look different. Listen, this topic also speaks to the sacredness of our everyday life. To work. 
even if we're not ministers. Right? How many of you guys in here are, are not pastors? You, you don't hold, like, credentials to be a pastor. Anybody? Raise your hand real high, because I just... Like, most everybody in here, most of us, that's not what we do. Can I tell you, this, this scripture applies to you. Listen, back in medieval times, the clergy made it a habit of separating the sacred from the secular in, in this distorted, two-tiered model, citing ministerial work as holy and everything else as not. Right? Even in the church, sometimes, even today, we, we put people up on a pedestal that have been called to ministry, and we talk down to people that work at McDonald's. Think about it in your own life. Maybe you would not say it out loud, but when you go pick up your food at McDonald's and they mess it up, and in your head you're going, and you think you deserve $15 an hour, and you can't even put fries in my bag. Why? Because you think you're better than them. Because you think their work doesn't matter. But all of a sudden, a new wave of, of reformers and, and Reformation thinkers sought to, to find some sort of sanctification in the ordinary life that most of us are called to. And, and James Smith described it like this. Domestic life is affirmed as a sphere of grace. It's not just priests and nuns who are religious. It's the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker who all undertake their mundane, worldly task with a sense of devotion and worship. In the words of the Apostle Paul, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You see, in the, in the Christian faith, every vocation holds the potential to turn the dull drabness of life into a kaleidoscope of color. Everything that one does, regardless of prestige, can be an act of love and worship before God. So listen, maybe you do flip burgers at McDonald's. Be the best burger flipper for Jesus that you can be. Maybe you clean porta potties. Right? Like that's a crappy job. I love a good pun. But be the best Porta John cleaner that you can be. Maybe you're a teacher. Be the best teacher you can be. Maybe you're a salesman or a saleswoman. Be the best salesman or saleswoman that you can be. Maybe you, you own your own business. Be the best business owner that you can be. Maybe you, you stock shelves for a living. Be the best shelf stalker there is. Take pride in what you do. Why? Because you represent Christ in everything you do. If people know you love Jesus, they're going to look at everything you do and judge you based on that. So can I tell you, if you stock shelves and I walk by the aisle you stock, it should look better than the other aisles. Why? Because you're not doing it for HEB. You're not doing it for Walmart. You're doing it for Jesus. If you knew Jesus was going to come in behind you, that aisle would look awesome. Right? Or that clothes rack would look awesome. Or your classroom would look awesome. Or your house 
would look awesome or your dirty clothes that you've left on the side of your bed for like a week would not be there. Why? Because we don't do it for other people. We do it for Jesus. And that's got to be our motivation. We don't do it for a paycheck. Can I tell you I'm glad we get paychecks? But we don't do it for the paycheck. We do it because we love Jesus and we love what we do. Even if you don't love what you do, hopefully you love Jesus. And hopefully you love Jesus enough to put some heart and passion into what you do. Listen, it doesn't matter what you choose to do in life. Is the doctor any more prestigious than the person who cleans at McDonald's? No. You want to know why? Because every soul matters to God. Whether it's the doctor, the lawyer, the politician, or the janitor, the baker, the candlestick maker, every soul matters to God. And when we work for Jesus, everything we do can be an act of love and worship before Him. You see, we are called to use every bit of us to spread the entire gospel around the entire world. Every single bit of us, not just part. Listen, God has gifted some of us in some amazing ways. Anybody in here like numbers? Anybody a numbers person? Right? They're numbers persons. I'm a numbers person. I like numbers. My wife is not a numbers person. She's not. But you know, my wife is really organized. Can be. Right? Anybody organized? Like that's your gift? Right? Now there's others that like have the gift of administration. Like, man, put you over an event, put you over a big thing, and like, man, you're just, you're loving life. Anybody there? Right? Some other people. Some of you, that's not you. But, but, but man, you can type, and you can make something look pretty. Or, or maybe you can decorate something and, and make it feel welcoming. Like, I've been in some of your ladies' homes. Man, some of your ladies' homes look incredible. And you can tell that you spend a lot of time and, and love going in to making it feel welcoming. What if you began to use the giftings that God has given you to bring glory to Him? Pastor, are you asking us to serve at the church? Yes and no. Can't you? I believe that we should use our gifts at the church. But can I tell you, we shouldn't just use our gifts at the church. We should also use our gifts around us and in the world in which we live in. Because the truth is, we only come in these walls one or two days a week. And if this is the only time the world ever sees the wall, our, our gifts, then the world's missing out. Because look around us. There's 7,500 people in Mejia this morning, and most of them aren't here. begin
begin to use the gifts that God has given us for his glory outside of the church. Listen, loving God with all your soul means pursuing him with our identity and our choices. Everything we do, we do for the glory of God. Everything we do has to be for his glory. Otherwise, why are we doing it? So here's the question for today. Do you treat your life? Do you treat your job? Do you treat the task that you do as meaningless? Or do you treat them as holy, as work unto the Lord? Can I tell you, I'm guilty of sometimes treating work as meaningless and another checkbox to check. Our teachers in here that have ever taught in a star-tested subject know exactly what I'm talking about. Check a box. Or that have worked in a, anybody that's worked in a restaurant that has a cleaning list at the end of the night and you just touch a counter to make sure that you can check the box. Or you flush a toilet so that you can say it was clean so that you can check a box what if we weren't worried about checking boxes in life and we were worried about bringing honor and glory to God would it make a difference in how you approached life so here's the ask today maybe it's your job maybe it's another area of your life but you'd say pastor I've got to do more than just check the box. I've got to do it as if I'm working for God. And maybe you've been doing it, but man, you just realize that you got to do it more. Maybe it's not up to the point where it should be. But today you'd say, Pastor, just pray with me that I would work for God, that I'd take the task that seemed many and I and that I hate, and I'd do it for Jesus so that he can get the glory so that others might know him if that's you just raise your hand I see hands all over the place can I pray with you guys God we come to you God all guilty at times from just approaching work as another thing to be done as another checkbox to check God as another thing that's got to be completed before we can do whatever it is that we want to do But God, your scripture says to do all things as if we do them to you. So God, first we ask forgiveness, God, where where we have done things, not as if we're doing them for you. God, forgive us for those times, but God, help us really have your heart in serving and doing the things that we do. God, at our workplace, in our schools, God, in our homes, God, with our family, with our friends. God, so that people might come to know you. God, use us to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name.